civil engineering is very broad. Yeah. Um, you know, you have your structural engineers, which is a part of civil. You have the ones that design, you know, roadways and highways and bridges. You have land development, which is what we do. There's environmental engineers, which is a part of civil, um, geotechnical. So there's just so many different aspects of, of civil engineering. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Nicole Langley of High Point Engineering. Nicole is a civil engineer who specializes in permitting and land development strategies. So very interested. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Nicole, how did you get into civil engineering? Mm, that's actually interesting. So um, I went to an all-female Catholic high school in Milton, and um, civil engineering was not the, the typical role for most women to take when they graduated. Um, but I have always been passionate about math and science. So, um, you know, I did well in English and history, but my love was in math and science. And I was always interested in how things were created or how things were built. So um, I like the construction phase of things. Um, uh, so I actually graduated and went to Wentworth Institute of Technology and majored in civil engineering. Um, how many other women were in your freshman class there? So that's the thing. When I went into Wentworth, it wasn't many women at all. In my major classes, I was the only woman. Um, there were maybe one or two other women in the, my math classes or English. Wow. Um, so it was major culture shock going from all female to pretty much all male. Huh. <laughs> that's really interesting because you, you really weren't trained in how to deal in that situation. And all of a sudden, right. now you are. Huh. How was that? How was the experience? I think it was good. The good thing about coming from an all-female high school is you learn to be independent and you learn to, you know, pave your own path and make your own decisions and kind of be your own person. So I think that helped me transition and hold my own at Wentworth among, you know, a sea of men. Interesting. Interesting. So, so tell me about the industry itself. Is it still really dominated by males? It is still dominated, but I'm happy to say that I'm seeing more and more women join the field. Um, we've actually hired two um, female engineers at High Point recently, and um, you know I, I love that. Um, so I'm, I'm always there for them to help mentor them and you know get them to where they need to go. And um, I want to see more women get into the field. So tell me about that. Is there a different conversation that you have with those new rising stars that are female versus the new rising stars that are male? Like you have that shared experience that you can bring to them? Yeah, I mean, with the shared experiences, believe it or not, you'll still get an occasional um, old school engineer who just finds it odd that there are women equal to him or working with him. And, you know, every woman in this field has some type of story um, or experience that, you know, they feel. So I interviewed one of the most recent women that was hired at um, High Point, and she had some, she was nervous about, you know, going into this field and 
kind of, you know, she's had some bad experiences in the past. And, you know, I said, well, you, know, you just need to be confident in what you do and, and the rest will fall in place. I love that. That's such, that's so inspiring. And how is she doing? She's doing great. Good. Yeah, she's doing great. You know, she's good. learning still, but she what she does is really good. So tell us what you do. Like, tell us what a strategist in land use development and what permitting, what, 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 what are you all doing? Like, what's your space and where are you targeting? Yeah. So, um, you know, we target commercial private development. So, um, you know, we, we don't do a lot of small single family residential. If it's residential, it's large multifamily. Um, we do a lot of industrial work, um, institutional work, lab science, um, retail, which is kind of a dying industry, but, um, you know, we've done some of that as well as office space and warehouse. So basically we get involved early in a project, um, with the surveyors, we help do some due diligence on the project so that the client understands whether his vision is achievable. Um, you know, so we'll start out with some conceptual design and, and, you know, some permitting tracks. Then we'll design the project. We specialize in grading, site layouts, utilities, drainage is a big part of our design. And that kind of brings the project to a phase where you put this package together, you present it to the municipalities, um, depending on what the permitting path is, whether you're dealing with wetlands um, or just site plan approval or some zoning issues. And you know, my favorite thing is kind of arguing why our project is great and getting that board to agree with you and approve your permits. I love that, right? The creativity of it, right? That you may not fit squarely within the bylaws, but exactly. You know, this is this is great. So who, what other professionals are you working with in those design in that early stage? How 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 involved is the sponsor and, you know, typically who's the point of contact that you're dealing with from the owner side? Yeah, so usually um, on the owner side, it depends who the owner is. You know, if it's a developer, we're working closely with the developer um, and whoever is in charge of that project. He tells you what his goals are, what, you know, what his vision is, and you tell him, you know, all right, you can achieve that, but you need relief from these requirements. Yeah. Or, you know, if you do this, then it's allowed by right, you know, so you kind of help shepherd them through that process. So that's really valuable. So that's the consultative type of uh, mm -hmm. professionalism that you're giving, right? So it's like, yeah. you could do this. Like, I know it sounds great and it's a cool dream and all, but practically speaking, the path to this is a lot easier. How does that conversation yeah. go with the dreamer developer? Well, you need to talk to the developer, you know, how, you know, how far do they want to take their fight? Right. You know, and, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm working with U-Haul in Somerville and ideally they want to tear down an existing facility and build a new state-of-the-art six-story facility, but it's not allowed by right. Um, so there were some variances needed and to get meet their goal and they're not meeting it. The towns, the city's not budging. They're not ready to make those changes. They feel that their zoning was is new enough that there shouldn't be changes. So, um, you know, we advise the client, you know, you're not gonna win this battle and they're gonna deny your project. So, you know, you're better off going back to the planning board. This is what you need to do to get a zoning compliant building and get the city to work with you. How much of, 
how much of that is truly following the master plan or it's following a couple of people on the board who are like, I wanted this U-Haul off of the rotary years ago. So let's take the opportunity to shut this thing down. Yeah, it's a little of both. Um, the issue with Somerville is they have a future vision planned out for right. this area. And maybe U-Haul doesn't quite fit into that vision, but they've been in operation for about 50 years at that location and they don't want to go anywhere. Right. So, you know, it's arguing to the, the municipality that they have a right to be there. They've been beneficial to the city for a long time. So, okay, maybe they can't go for their pie in the sky dream for the ultimate facility, but they want to work with you and, you know, they're willing to work with you to meet, you know, to satisfy both needs. And they can't find that middle ground where their cool concept fits into the city's cool future design plan. Yeah. You know, eventually, though, you, you could get down to something that's zoning compliant and then they really don't have a say. Right. Um, you know, but what is the client willing to lose to get there? So there's a lot of back and forth. And, you know, what is the client willing to lose? What are they willing to give back to the city to, you know, get their goal achieved? You, that's an awesome point. What are you seeing that towns are embracing with that kind of concession? Like, okay, I know that this is outside the box, it's outside all boxes, outside the area code, but everyone agrees this is kind of cool. What else does the town need? Like, how can we help without, you know, it being a quote kickback, right? We need to support the infrastructure. I get it. We might need to widen roads or whatever, but what is yeah. the town seeing? What What are you seeing rather that towns are really getting excited about with that type of concession? So a lot of it is, you know, incorporating the community into your design. I had another project in Chelsea, which was a multifamily residential development, but it was in sort of the arts area of the city. So, um, you know, they agreed to allow, you know, the local artists to um, paint a memorial on the side of the building, you know, and kind of incorporate the arts into the building and make it more part of the community. Are you seeing any uh, activity around the new regulations and uh, encouraging denser building around MBTA. Yes. Facilities. Yes. So that is a big push now, especially on the South shore, you know, they're working with that with their 2030 plan, um, the South shore chambers, 2030 plan. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea is to kind of make like a, a, a live work and play type of community where you have everything you need there. So the mixed use development and the TOD is very strong and TOD being, you know, transit oriented design, you know, you're trying to maybe eliminate some of the volume of vehicles that are on the roads day to day by building these homes and these businesses close to an MBTA station, um, you know, which allows people to maybe jump on the train and kind of read a book on the way to work, as opposed to, driving and sitting in traffic. So smart. So, so smart. And are they, are there studies that have shown that most families living in one of those will be one car, if car at all? You know, a lot of the municipalities are um, reducing the parking demand for these type mm. of developments because that's their goal, that most of the families will be reduced to a single car so the parking requirements aren't as stringent as they were if it was a standard development somewhere else in town farther away from an MBTA station. 
Right, because that makes sense, right? So if a town yeah. had a two car, a two parking minimum for each residential dwelling, mm -hmm. they may be able to split that down to one and create more housing. Yeah, um, you know, for the city of Brockton, for instance, is doing like an urban re revitalization in their downtown area and allowing multifamily residential or mixed use where it wasn't allowed previously. And their parking reduction was brought down to, I believe, 0.8 spaces per bedroom. Oh, okay. So, you know, that was a big relief, you know, because the land in Brockton is limited. So that helps a lot with meeting the goals. That makes a lot of sense. I love the creativity of developers who say, you know, let's take this old mall that is a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. and let's create this live, work, enjoy in a wonderful area of the country and and give everybody what they need. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's ideal. And then you have the towns who stop and say, whoa, 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 this isn't in our bylaws. Yes. You know, that's a big thing, you know, zoning reformation or like re-looking at the zoning is a big issue right now. Um, I know it's a big issue. I keep going back to the South Shore Chamber, but I know that's a big issue for them is um, you know, each town has their own bylaw. And when you look at certain developments, so say um, Union Point, which yeah. is in Weymouth and Rockland and um, Abington, you know, who really has jurisdiction is like, you know, that portion of the project, only Abington, this portion over here is only Weymouth. Um, you know, ideally they're all going for the same outcome. So it's like there could be maybe more community wide or, or county wide zoning so that it's easier to achieve goals across town lines. That's an interesting concept, right? So down South Florida, everything is run county. Yeah, by county. county. Mm -hmm. You know, here it's municipality. But as you were talking, I'm I'm thinking, you know, our new governor of Massachusetts is is very bullish on housing, right? So mm -hmm. wants more housing, needs more housing, understands all of it. But where does that collide with the local municipality? And And do you see the state kind of pushing harder on the local municipalities, the one acre lot minimum type stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. You're definitely seeing that. You're seeing a lot of multifamily development. Um, it's being pushed both, you know, at the state level as well as the municipality level. Um, the city of Boston has a 2030 plan, which, you know, is the goal is to achieve a certain number of housing by 2030. The South Shore has that same goal for housing and, it's really an easier permitting track. I, I don't ever want to say permitting is easy because um, nope. there's always tricks, but it's something that most municipalities are open to because it meets the goal of the state. Meets the goal of the state. So even if they have a few loud minority at town hall stomping their feet, we don't want progress. We want it the yeah. way it's always been. Right. Which you always run into um, you run into municipalities that don't want housing because they're afraid of the negative impact on the schools. Right. And that's a challenge. You know, how do you prove that you're not, you know, we had, a, you know, a project and we're saying, you know, the majority of the units are one bedroom, so you're not going to get a lot of children, but they just weren't listening and it just wasn't something that they could comprehend and they just didn't want to impact the schools. They didn't want to add new bus lines. Um, so that is definitely a challenge. Yeah, it's all a challenge. It's But I like it where it's, you know, people are starting to visualize the future a little bit. 
Talking about visualization, how do you see multifamily? I mean, are we going to start to move away from these dormitory style rectangle box apartments mm-hmm. and move to more of a unique tiny home kind of outdoor space? Everybody's got a pod kind of. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not really seeing a lot of the smaller space stuff. You know, there's a big push for that a couple of years ago in Boston with the tiny homes and the small living and I, you know, toured a couple of those in the city um, and they're really fascinating. You know, everything's there, just compact and maybe uh, move a couple things around. I'm actually working on two multifamily residential projects in um, the town of Plymouth right now um, that are both under construction. One is um, at the rear of Colony Place off of 44 and the other one is in Pine Hills and they are... um, you know, higher end apartments, one bedroom studios to up to three bedrooms, but they have all the amenities. They have a swimming pool, they have a clubhouse, they have, you know, grills and stuff. So it's also a destination. But still that dormitory, right? And I understand from the developer's perspective, it's a lot cheaper to build one rectangle and then fit it out inside as opposed to creating multiple structures. Well, so um, the one at Colony Place is four separate buildings yep. um, with a with a clubhouse. Um, so they are trying to do that. You're not seeing on the South Shore, at least, or the projects that I'm working on, I'm not seeing the one, you know, seven-story brick building. Yep. Um, they are kind of getting away from that and kind of doing more of an architectural um, look to the exterior of the building so that it's more homey and, you know, more pleasing. Yeah. Um, there's another project we did, which was a 55 and over, also in Plymouth at Colony Place. Um, that's almost like townhouse style. So two-story units, you know, side by side in multiple units, multiple buildings. That's a really interesting segment is the 55 and older, because, I mean, obviously as I sneak upon that We're getting there, age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, and there is a tremendous amount of people who are staying healthy mm-hmm. and living longer. And, you know, it's kind of that buffer from, I don't need this big house. My family's all gone to, you know, where's my next step as opposed to, you know, aging in place in these four right. colonials with a lot of stairs and such like it's right a, and know, a lot of people aren't ready for assisted living you know right. if they're not at that stage but you know they want someone to do their lawn or or you know have one level living you know that type of stuff so there's definitely a need for that but i like the ones that are connect you know they have their own individual outdoor space and they're connected to mm-hmm. a trail system and they're you know there's there's a community there right yeah but, um, but you have a separate yes yeah yeah and that's kind of what i was thinking with that with respect to some of these other communities that are starting to prop up you know the minimalist community the the tiny home community yeah. it's almost like a like a campground on steroids where right exactly it's, it's not limited to 55 and older but you know first time home buyers here's a great way to get into a town that you want to get into and and hey, school system, uh, cover your ears to get them in a good school system <laughs> right. and impact that school system. But you're, you're right, because you have your own space. You know, you have your own little yard. You have your front yard. You, you take care of that how you want. You know, I'm sure there's requirements for the, you know, association that manages the property. But you still have your own space. You're kind of independent. You're not walking into an apartment building, you know, hearing the person next to you through the walls. You know, you're kind of separate and have your 
your own thing going on. And then eventually, you know, you see where that goes. Right. Right. Well, the future is bright as much as people are freaking out. Um, I believe the future is super bright, especially in land development. I, I talk with people all the time, you know, this is 2023 folks. If you're hearing this in 2028 and if we timestamp it a little <laughs> bit, uh, we're in, we're in the good old days of 2023, but I have been saying, um, you know, the word zoning is going to be the word of the year. We're going to mm -hmm. hear a lot of it. Uh, people are going to, you know, who never really understood what zoning is, is going to, they're going to start to understand it, you know, because yes. it's going to be in front of them. It's going to be a town meeting. It's going to be at their local papers, local levels, a lot of arguing going on about it. You know, where are we going? What do we want to, where do we want to be in the future? You know, I love Peter Foreman and folks uh, listening to this uh maybe two episodes ago, I interviewed Peter Foreman, the, the mm -hmm. head of our South Shore Chamber, and that 2030 vision, it's so important to have a plan, right? You're, you're forward yes. thinking, you're out there, you know, how are we going to get there? Obviously, some things are going to change along the way, you know, automation and all of that. Are you seeing any of the automation and machine learning and AI starting to help enhance your business and help make you all more efficient? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, more and more technology, um, you look at the way we designed a, a stormwater management system, you know, in the early 2000s, um, you know, everything was by hand, hand calculations, you know, there were formulas that you met, but, you know, now you have all this incredible software and, and um, instruments that you can use to go out in the field and determine, you know, some existing conditions and get it back to your computer and, and you know, use your design, we have, um, you know, smart pipe systems where it'll provide slopes and sizes and, you know, things that we all had to do by hand in the past. And it just makes our job easier. It also has its challenges because it can't think for itself. So yeah, um, what you're finding is, you know, certain things would be like, well, ideally you wouldn't want to do that, but you have to kind of trick the system, yeah. come into a, a real life situation. Right. But again, the future's bright there, right? So Absolutely. More efficient and and instead of going A, B, C, D, you get to go from A to D and boom, yeah, you're much on quicker. Track. Everybody and I think that'll just improve with time, you know. Our the design is gonna get easier and um more efficient, you know, the more that intelligence progresses. I'm looking forward to a day where you know, the, the towns have this smart contracts, right. And they're on the blockchain and you can get in there and you can submit your request. And if it's by right, boom, it's up on the blockchain, boom, it's accepted. Here's your permit. Let's go. So I, I'm looking very much forward uh, to those, those strategy sessions and, and seeing what, what the new technology is going to bring us. Yeah. Um, one of the things that surprises me with municipalities is, the majority of them still require, you know, 10 to 18 copies of your submission. So the amount of paper you use for these submissions is unheard of. There's a few municipalities that are getting into like electronic submissions, which is eliminating that. And, you know, the, the board members are looking at it on iPads or laptops, which is much more efficient. So smart too, because, you know, sharing experience, I was a member of a zoning board mm -hmm. and we would get these submissions and I would, you know, thoughtfully be part of the decision-making process. And, you know, I feel as though I was there with the residents as best yeah. as I could, but 
you know, some of the slam dunk ones, right? So some of the ones I'm talking about, like, why are you even here? Like, let's just upload this and find a process for the machine to figure it out and let's keep pushing. But you bring up such a great point. Like I would have this stack of papers yeah. and I would walk out of the meeting that files closed right into the bin. Exactly. For, for shredding. exactly. And it's like, you don't think about that, you know, that your company had to go through the, the, you know, the workforce of doing that. Your client had to pay for all that. It's like, can we cut out the inefficiencies? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just, it, it's a waste in the end, you know, it, be much more efficient, you know, electronically. And everyone has the ability to view files that way. I thought you were going to say the towns. I have an application right here. You know, it's on paper. We got to either type it or handwrite it, you know? Yes, exactly. Like, what are we doing here? Can we? Yeah. The state we... is getting more like um, the mass DEP. Yeah. Most of their filing is now all electronic. You know, so they're finally progressing. It's just getting the local municipalities to kind of follow suit. So DEP, Department of Environmental Protection, when, it, when would you be dealing with those folks? So we deal with them um, whenever we're doing work within the buffer zone um, of a resource area, which is a bordering vegetated wetland, a vernal pool, riverfront. Um, so they have jurisdiction over um, the resource area itself and a hundred feet outside of that area. So you work with both the local conservation commission, but you also file with the state. So how many potential agencies does a permitting specialist have to walk through potentially to get some deal green lit for shovels in the ground? Yeah. Um, so there's almost always um, for our commercial land development work, there's almost always the planning board that deals with site plan review um, there's zoning, there's the Conservation Commission, if there's a resource area, uh, MassDEP. We, um, in Massachusetts, if you work on a project that disturbs over an acre of land, then you need to permit with um, the EPA, um, which is uh, a NIPTES construction general permit. Um, and that's the there's Fed, also, right? Yes, that's the feds, yep. And um, there's also, you know, Selectmen, the Board of Selectmen, they get their, um, they get involved with like, you know, hazardous material being stored outside on a project, you know, even if it's a, a propane um, operated generator, that's considered hazardous and it needs to be approved through like a Board of Selectmen as opposed to a, 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 a planning board or zoning department. Earth removal, they get involved in that in a lot yes. of times too, right? Yeah. And, um, what else? What other agencies might you be working with? Board of Health, potentially, if it's- Yeah, Board of Health, particularly with um, sanitary sewer, or if you have a septic system. Um, oh, so the DPW. Deep, yeah, the DPW. Yeah. Um, particularly, once you go through the permitting phase, DPW needs to do a review and approval, particularly of your drainage system or your um, utility layout. And then fire and police, they typically will. Yeah, we meet with the fire and the police department all the time. That's really interesting. So on a big project, you're dealing with local, state, and federal government. Yes. Typically. And then that's not even taking into consideration if there's some sort of protected area. Right. And, you know, in some occasions you're dealing with like a historical commission right. or, you know, the historical board, depending on 
you know, the use of the land. Uh, we have a project on the Waltham Watertown line. It spans the, the town lines um, and it's a historical um, facility. It's Gore Place. Um, it's an active farm. It was, um, there's a mansion on the property that was um, for one of our governors from like the 1800s. So there's a lot of historical aspects that you have to go through when you're doing changes on that property. And sometimes if it's registered, you can't do anything, right? Right, so right. You have to keep up. There's very regulations on what you can and can't do. You have to keep up with the the current time, um, not the current time, but the time period of the building. You don't want to lose that. You want to keep up with the historical aspect right. of that structure. Right. That's really interesting. There's a lot to it. I mean, this is definitely not a do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, I don't think understand that. I, I think a lot of people don't really understand what civil engineers do, particularly land development and, and, you know, don't understand, you know, the aspects of getting a project approved or what, you know, what goes into it. Well, it's funny you say that because when I was first learning what engineers did at the most basic uh, mm -hmm. level, I always thought of somebody must have put this in my head and it stuck for, I mean, decades really, <laughs> is civil engineers were the ones who worked on roads and bridges. Roads and bridges. It's true. Civil engineering is very broad. Yeah. Um, you know, you have your structural engineers, which is a part of civil you have the ones that design, you know, roadways and highways and bridges. You have land development, which is what we do. There's environmental engineers, which is a part of civil, um, geotechnical. So there's just so many different aspects of, of civil engineering. I love it. Well, let me ask you this. So civil engineer, I <laughs> am, uh, I, I engage you in High Point to help me with a mixed use concept that I have identified here on the South Shore and and you did you you were wonderful. What 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 would I say in the review, or what would you hope I would say? Um, you know, ideally, we're hoping that our client feels that we gave them, we, you know, arm them with all the information they need to get their project successful. Um, we let them know the pros of it, the cons of it. You know, we're not just going to give you a happy package. We're going to be honest with you and let you know what you need to do to reach your goal. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a lot of, you know, trying to convince the boards, like we said, to agree with you and, and change their typical regulations and, you know, meet your design intent. Love it. So we've asked you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and put on the the business development hat and really kind of share share what you and High Point are doing. And that it could be uncomfortable. And I hope all of your friends, colleagues and everybody see the value in this and share it with all of their friends and anybody who who might be uh, in your space. But when we're expanding comfort zone, I always like to use karaoke as the yeah. ultimate <laughs> comfort zone. So we're, we're getting together. We're all hanging out. We're doing karaoke. You're next, Nicole. What are you singing? Oh, God. I, I struggled with this. I've been thinking <laughs> about this because my uh, taste in music is very wide, um, but if I'm going to sing, it's probably going to be like, you know, a girl song. Mm -hmm. Got <laughs> it. A girl. I'm a big uh, No Doubt fan. Okay. Um, anything by Gwen Stefani. Love it. Um, you know, 
I like Billy Idol too, you know, Ooh. little Billy Idol, you know, dancing with myself. He's doing a residency. He's doing a residency in Las Vegas right now, Billy. Is he really? I saw him in Boston a few times. So I saw him at the House of Blues. I did too. We were at the same show. I bet. Yeah. Frank Turner opened for him. Yep. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Most important question of them all. I'm a developer. I'm a private equity. I'm somebody who wants to develop something somewhere, anywhere. How do I get in touch with you? So um, all of our business is word of mouth. Um, you can reach us on our website and it's www.highpointeng.com. Um, you can reach me directly um, at my office, which is 781-770-0971. Uh, my email is ndunphy, D-U-N-P-H-Y, at highpointeng.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn as Nicole Langley. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm transitioning as I I, I, um, I was just married in November. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So I'm transitioning slowly out of Nicole Dunphy to Nicole Langley. So. Moving forward, I put an announcement on LinkedIn saying, moving forward, I'm going by Nicole Lang. I love it. I love yeah. it. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations on all fronts. And we Thank welcome you. you here down on the South Shore. Let's do some really cool projects for uh, for the residents of the South Shore. You know, we really- I would love that. Yeah, that's my cool. goal. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you again so very much for sharing your story and your experience, Nicole. I appreciate the time. Thank you. So that's another exciting episode of Elements of Styles, folks. If you learned something, if you're intrigued or you know somebody who would be really interested in this conversation, share it with them. In fact, share it with everyone. Why not? What's the harm? We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.